please rise as you're able as we read the gospel lesson. The gospel lesson comes from the book of John in the 14th chapter, starting in the 15th verse. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I have said to you. This is the gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. In our series this summer, What is Christianity? We have followed the pattern of the Apostles' Creed as we look to and learn from the Holy Trinity. Of course, beginning with God the Father and Creator, and then going to Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son and our Savior. Now we come to the Holy Spirit. Describing the Holy Spirit can be challenging. So I decided we would come up with a couple questions to get us started. Who or what is the Holy Spirit? There are many misconceptions about the identity of the Holy Spirit. Some view the Holy Spirit as some unseen mystical force. Others understand the Holy Spirit as an impersonal power that God makes available to the followers of Christ. What does the Bible say about the identity of the Holy Spirit? Simply put, the Bible declares that the Holy Spirit is God, is part of the Holy Trinity. The Bible also tells us that the Holy Spirit is a divine person, a being with a mind, emotions, and a will. And we know this because that we find in the Bible that the Holy Spirit can be grieved. We read that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. The Holy Spirit makes decisions according to his will. The Holy Spirit is God and the third person of the Trinity. As God, the Holy Spirit can truly function as the comforter and counselor that Jesus promised he would be. Romans 8 9 tells us that if a person does not possess the Holy Spirit, he or she does not belong to Christ. It says that you, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. The Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Ephesians 1 13 through 14 teaches that the Holy Spirit is the seal of salvation for all those who believe. Having believed, you are marked in him with a seal, the promised. Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Now we come to the second question. How do we receive the Holy Spirit? The answer is simple. We receive the Holy Spirit when we believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior. When we do receive the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit was within us, the very moment we believe in Christ. A couple more points from Scripture about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a distinct being, seen in Matthew 28, 19, 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The Holy Spirit is God, Acts 5, 3 through 4. The Holy Spirit is eternal and holy, John 9, 14, and Romans 1, 4, and 5, 5. The Holy Spirit is omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient. 
Zechariah 4, 6, Psalm 139, and 1 Corinthians 2, 10. So if we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior and the rule of our life, Scripture teaches us that the Holy Spirit is already in our possession. Now the hard part for us is this. Most believers spend a great deal of their time not allowing the Holy Spirit to impact or affect them. We let the noise of this world drown out the leading and the guidance that we get from the Holy Spirit. This is hard to believe, though it happens. Because the Holy Spirit is God in us, the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God who created everything, who conquered death, who did all these wonderful miracles, resides within us. And yet we still do not hear So this comes to our third question. Why do we have the Holy Spirit? Why is the Holy Spirit residing in us? We go back to John chapter 14. If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. It can be very difficult for us to grasp that the Holy Spirit is with us. When we read the Gospels, in contrast, it's quite easy to see Jesus, right? He was with the disciples. He ate with them. He lived with them. He shared meals with them. He washed their feet, and they watched him die on the cross. But he was there physically with them. But we also know from Scripture that Jesus said he had to go. He had to go because the Helper was being sent to the people. When Jesus says this, we have to take him at his word because Jesus is truth. What does it mean to have the Holy Spirit? What does it mean for our lives? We have to look at the book of Acts to really see how the Holy Spirit comes onto the scene and begins the early church. Starting with Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came to be with all believers, and all through the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is active and changing lives. That same Holy Spirit described in this book is the same one that dwells and moves today, right here and right now, and is present in our worship. Jesus Christ described the Holy Spirit as the helper, the one in whom we find truth for guidance and to intercede on our behalf. As Jesus Christ is sent by the Father to justify us of our sins, it is the Holy Spirit sent by Jesus Christ to sanctify, to change us, to renew us, to guide us, to change us as we seek and yearn to be more Christ-like. As Martin Luther expanded on the Holy Spirit in his own reflection of this very text, he says that the Holy Spirit was provided as another means to fulfill the promises made by Christ. Martin Luther continues in the small catechism about his encounter with the Holy Spirit in this way. I believe that I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ my Lord, or come to him, but the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me, and sanctified and kept me in the true faith. In the same way he calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth, and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit will be with us always and forever. 
And that's not all. The Holy Spirit is not just some unseen, intangible presence that is around us. The Holy Spirit is within us. What the Holy Spirit does, I'm sorry, to better understand what the Holy Spirit does, we have to seek to better understand who the Holy Spirit is. In the Bible, there are different names, or better described as titles, for Jesus. There are several. You have the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God, Emmanuel, and of course, Jesus Christ, to name a few. In the same way, the Holy Spirit has several names and titles to describe him. One of those names is Advocate. The title Advocate is also used for Jesus Christ, but the use of Advocate in that sense is an advocate on our behalf between us and God. For the Holy Spirit, the title of Advocate is more directly translated to the Helper. Another title is Comforter. John 14, 26 says this, But the Comforter, even the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring to your remembrance all that I said unto you, so that when you recognize the Holy Spirit's presence with you, he will give you peace through his presence. The Holy Spirit is also our counselor. Isaiah thirty twenty one. we find, Your own ears will hear him. Right behind you, a voice will say, This is the way you should go whether to the right or to the left. The Holy Spirit also convicts. The Holy Spirit convicts or exposes things in our lives apart which can be difficult for us. John 16, 8 reads, When he comes, he will convict or expose the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The Holy Spirit will convict and reveal things in our lives, things we need to deal with or to stop doing. And when that happens, it is an opportunity for us to draw closer to God through confession and prayer. Further, when we read, preach, and teach, and share God's word, it is the Holy Spirit that guides and corrects and enables understanding. We also know from Christ that the Holy Spirit will also be a comforter to the believer. While we may be able to grasp how the Holy Spirit corrects and guides us as we encounter God's word. But what does Jesus mean of comforting? What does it mean that he'll be our comforter? Does this mean that the Holy Spirit in his Trinitarian role will make sure that our lives are comfy, cozy, and that we'll never encounter anything scary or uncomfortable? Certainly not. In fact, I believe the Holy Spirit will seek to make us uncomfortable, to help push us into what God is calling us to do the purpose that God has for each of us to help that neighbor in need, to forgive, to correct, and in understanding God's word. Especially, especially when we read God's word and we find that it contradicts our own emotions. No, the Holy, Com- the Holy Spirit comforts us that in his role he protects us from the enemy and his lies. As Jesus taught, the world will be set against us because of his holy name. The enemy will seek to confuse and to steer us away from our creator. This is where the Holy Spirit comforts us. The Holy Spirit guards us from this affront and confusion while pointing us back towards God. The Holy Spirit takes us even further in that, as I said earlier, the Holy Spirit doesn't just reside unseen and unknown and intangible in our world. No, the Holy Spirit resides in a new temple within us. 
God has made us the new temples in which the Holy Spirit resides, working tirelessly and working through us. The significance of the temple throughout Scripture is repeated again and again as a place in which God's presence resides. We know from reading about the tabernacle and the temple from the Old Testament, and Jesus speaks of the New Testament temple quite often. He taught in it, he visited it, he cleansed it, and he depicted it being torn down and rebuilt in three days. Of course, in this last reference to the temple, Jesus was not speaking about the physical temple in which the curtain would be torn in two. He was speaking about himself, his body being the temple. God's presence with the people. Jesus being both God and man, the living temple of God's presence. The presence of the Holy Spirit within us makes us the new temple. The church body of Christ is the temple. Not the building, but the people, the believers. This is not because we have done anything special or anything to deserve or earn this gift, but because of Jesus' promise to send the Spirit to be with us and to live within us. 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20 expands in this way. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now the Apostle Paul was teaching about sexual immorality here, but he strikes a significant chord that the people have the Holy Spirit within them. This is why it's significant that the Holy Spirit is a temple within believers. We are to glorify God and live out the purpose he has for us with the guidance and leading of the Holy Spirit. There are a great many things we can learn from the Holy Spirit and what it does in us and what carries through the Holy Spirit. But I'm going to focus on three this morning. I'm going to share three big things we can walk away with when we realize we have access to the Holy Spirit of God. The first one is that the Holy Spirit will turn a timid heart into a bold one. Acts 2, we see the Apostle Peter preaching boldly in front of a large crowd. And this is what it says. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts and they said to him and to other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all of his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church today, about 3,000 in all. So what's really striking here is Peter went from denying Christ three times to preaching at Pentecost. Peter was once so fearful that to the point that he was denying Jesus when asked if he knew this man. But with the great power of the Holy Spirit working in him and through him, Peter became bold to the point of preaching the name of Jesus in front of a crowd more than 3,000. Those 3,000 people came to Christ today because of the Holy Spirit's work through Peter. Now, power can be used in at least two ways. 
It can be unleashed or it can be harnessed. The Holy Spirit works in both. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit exploded onto the scene. His presence was like tongues of fire, as it says in Acts 3. Thousands were affected by just one small burst of God's power. But the Spirit also works through the church, through us, through the collective believers. God began to use the Holy Spirit's power to share the gospel. Through worship, fellowship, community, and service, Christians are provided with the staying power to live by the truth in an ever-changing world. What is it in you that you wish you can do for the Lord, but you are limited because you are afraid? For many of us, we deny Christ daily with our words and with our actions and with our inactions. Have you ever struggled to muster the courage to speak about your faith in Christ with friends and family and coworkers? We all have. But just like this example in the Apostle Peter, the Holy Spirit can turn a timid heart into a bold one. And the second point, the Holy Spirit turns a hardened heart into a passionate one. We turn to Acts 9 to learn about Saul. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the rest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one who you are persecuting. Now get up and get in, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. We jump ahead to verse 26 now. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated with some Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. When the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord, and with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. It's incredible that in just the short, selected verses, in one chapter, we see the depiction of one man, although it sounds like two, doesn't it? The Holy Spirit changed him in one instant, and totally change the trajectory of his life. I have a question for you. Have you ever had someone do something really inconsiderate in front of you while you're in traffic? It happens. My favorite, my personal favorite, is when somebody passes me, joins my lane, and then they slow way down. In those situations, I do what any Christian would do. I pray, right? I pray a verse from Psalm 3 that says something like this. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. Okay, not really. I usually say I'm praying for you, right? We're not perfect. But isn't it like that, especially when it comes to pointing out the 
failures and the faults of others, we can be really passionate, right? This is not the passionate heart I'm talking about. It's about a passion for other people's souls. Paul's conversion experience on Damascus Road was a significant turning point in his life. It was the turning point in his life. And it brought untold numbers to Christ. He was grateful for the gift of grace that he had received at his salvation. In subsequent years, the apostle told many people about this very encounter with the resurrected Christ and its impact on him. We too have a story to tell of God's mercy and of the new life found only in him. In fact, we have a commandment to bring the gospel to everyone, to make disciples and to baptize them in the name of the Holy Trinity. And the more we understand what Jesus has accomplished on our behalf, the greater will be our passion to share the gospel. The Spirit leads us to that greater understanding that leads us to that compassion for others and helps us to develop a vibrant faith that requires time and energy and a commitment to God. The Holy Spirit will move us to care about the spiritual welfare of others, moving us into action. So do we have a passion to serve Jesus wherever he leads? This brings us to my final point. The Holy Spirit turns a dead heart into an alive one. Romans 8.11 simply states, The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. What is a dead heart? What makes a heart dead? For one, if we don't have faith in Christ Jesus, our heart does not belong to him, and it's spiritually dead. But it's also possible for believers to have a dead heart as well. This happens when we're selfish, when we focus on our own ambitions and our own desires. When we're full of ourselves, we cannot be filled with anything else, including the Holy Spirit. When we're full of our passions, desires that are not of God. Our hearts are dead to what God has desired for us. And we can't hear the Holy Spirit speaking to us and guiding us. Instead, when we learn to lean on the Holy Spirit, our hearts become burning for what brings glory and honor to God. Recently, our middle school youth went on a mission trip called Week of Hope up to Loveland, Colorado. And each year it's common for the mission ministries that we work with um, to pick a scriptural theme for the week. It helps the kids kind of get into what we're learning about and enter the week. The theme for 2022 on Week of Hope was simply go serve. How awesome and powerful is that? Go serve. The theme was built upon the thought that service is our most natural response to how amazing God is and what he has done. But it also creates opportunities for conversations about the gospel and what Jesus has done. Serving and service being an act of obedience and worship. So when we come together to worship God, we're responding in much the same way. Just as God sent the Son, Jesus Christ, to redeem, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to guide and to comfort, we are being sent as a people of God to the world to serve in his name, and to share the gospel. But take heart, we are not alone. The Holy Spirit will be with us, guide us, to correct, to counsel, and indeed to comfort all of our days. Amen.